When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we answer your questions on morning greetings at work. How much info do you reveal to coworkers about funeral travel plans? Quite possibly the worst regifting story we've heard of. Whether to send a thank you note or a thank you gift, and what to do when an acquaintance shares very personal information. Plus, tis the season for a postscript segment on regifting. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be a part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Can we share with everybody I think our it's the best exchange? idea you've had all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's only like 10 a.m. A little background. My house has been under construction for a while. and It's getting close. It's getting very close. And my roommate and I were talking the other day, and she... We had moved her stuff out of her room because I had a great deal on getting my floors refinished. And so, you know, had to clear out all all the rooms that that would happen in, and hers was one of them. So her entire room was moved into our new living room. And she and I were talking. We kind of, like, reconnected, and she was like, I'd you know, I'd really love to stay at the house Friday night. And I was like, absolutely, we can make that happen. I actually really want to be staying at the house, too. Now, it's not just that my roommate's room, you know, I had to move everything out of it, but it's that— the kitchen is a disaster from two months of, of us not living there and people like just, you know, our contractor has been great, but he's been coming in zone. and like there's mail everywhere and there's like random pieces of furniture in the kitchen. It's not like the thing you want to come home to. And so and because we had done all the floors, like there's stuff stored in the shower. So I was like, in order for the two of us to really be able to stay here, you know, Friday night, it's going to mean that we got to clean things up. And so. I, you know, I, I'm I'm strong. I like being that independent woman who can handle things on my own. But there are times where furniture is just too big for one person. And I, I, many of you might not know it, but my cousin Dan actually has some real muscle under those, you know, button-down shirts that he wears. And so I thought maybe, just maybe, I could ask Dan, hey, you know, I know it's like the job nobody wants to do, but any chance you can come after work, (coughs) a.k.a. in an hour, because I was asking at 4 o'clock, and help me move some of that furniture. You don't have to do any cleaning. I just need help with the big stuff so that I can get it in and, and make her room livable and and get the rest of the house livable. So a reasonable request from a cousin in need. And I said no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I felt bad about it all night. But, but not terribly we, bad. Well, we talked about it in the moment. We, we said, like, you know, I, I get it. Like... <laughs> 
last This minute, is a big ask. It is a this big is, ask, yeah. Are you willing to not do whatever it is that you were planning to do and come with me and move furniture this evening? And you told me that, fair, to be fair, like this was a and night I, where you needed And I was thinking about it. I, I, I said no, and you said, you know, if you can't do it, I understand. And actually, I really appreciate that. If we start to tease out the points of etiquette totally. from, from this question, it's about asking for favors, asking well. Giving the out as you ask. Saying yes or no and yeah. and how you handle that. And I, I so appreciated that out. You said, you know, this isn't a... This isn't an absolute emergency. I, I could use the help. I would so appreciate it. But if you can't make it, I understand. Not mm-hmm. not just it's not mission critical. If you can't, <laughs> I understand. Deep breath I take and I say, no, I can't honestly say I can't make it because I could. Right. But the next line was the one I love where you say, um, I'd really rather not. And that, was, <laughs> and that was the truth. And I looked at Dan and I was like, I totally get it. I said, but I am going to bank this that when you ask me for a favor and I don't actually want to, I'm going to say I'd really rather not. Noted. Sometimes yeah. someone just, they don't have the energy to be no, giving. They don't have it. And, and this was going to be like moving large bureau, putting together a bed, you know, moving mattresses. We all know how cumbersome those are. It wasn't like, a pick this up from there. It was going to be an evening, or yeah. at least that was the way I was imagining yeah. it. And we often talk about setting boundaries, how yeah. important it is when someone does ask you for something that you're clear if the answer is no. Yeah. And I felt a little proud of myself that I didn't say, no, I can't make it. Right. That you wouldn't didn't entirely have been true. And, yeah. and that took a little bit of fortitude personally. <laughs> and that honesty actually left me feeling a little bit badly because it made me acknowledge to myself the truth of the situation. That no, I'm making a choice here. You know, if, yeah. if I shift some things around, I could probably free it up and, and make it happen. Anyway, so, so cut to this morning. Well, my my father came and helped me with it, and I was really surprised. It probably took us only half an hour to get, like, the dressers and the desk and the bed all put back together and everything, and then I moved all her clothing back in and all that stuff. So my, my dad's actual work that he helped me with probably only took half an hour. Yep. And then he took off, and I finished everything else, and I, I was really done. It probably only took took me two and a half hours to do the entire thing where she's going to walk into the house and like the kitchen is clean. All the surfaces are clean. Like you could use the kitchen. The bathroom is ready for, you know, showers and getting ready for Friday night out, that sort of thing. And her room, you know, her bed's all made. Everything's all back together. And when I looked around, I was just like, wow, that just really wasn't that bad. Now, I had a choice in that moment. I could go into work the next day and and really kind of play into Dan's guilt because, you know, I know Dan. He wants to be a helpful person. But at the same time, I know Dan. And he also really like, you know, when you are married, it's rare that you get a night on your own. And that's a really valuable thing. So I just wanted to assure him that like, hey, this turned out to be no big deal. It was super easy. My dad and I got it done in half an hour. And I just I made sure the first thing I said to you is, hey, this totally worked out. Don't I don't want you to feel badly about that. Like I, I appreciated the check-in. Let me yeah. know how it was going. It was an important enough thing to make an ask, and it left me feeling a little bit guilty, a little bit just curious how it had all worked out. And just bear in mind, I had come off of a 22-hour day the day before. So, like, the idea of moving all this furniture, I was dreading it. And then it just turned out to not be so big a deal. Like, it really wasn't. To me, it's a little reminder. There's so often the case with that work we dread. (laughs) It's often the the anticipation of the work and the avoidance of it that's the hardest part of it. Exactly. And so it was nice to be able to walk in and tell you, like, hey, no sweat, buddy. Like, I'm glad you got your night on your own. This was really 
an easy thing to tackle. And it gave me an opportunity to say, thanks for checking in. I was thinking about you. I'm sorry I wasn't more helpful. It wasn't that I didn't <laughs> want to help. <laughs> it really was that when I was looking at the balance of things in my life, it, it didn't feel easy. <laughs> so, Lizzie, I- I'm actually wondering, we need someone to take care of our house this weekend. Uh, <laughs> how about we get to some questions? <laughs> Let's. <laughs> you right. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And this first one is definitely one I've heard of in more office scenarios than you would expect. It's titled, Not a Good Morning Person. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. First, I want to say that I adore your podcast. I love how you take traditional etiquette rules and apply them to our modern life. One thing I struggle with is working in an open office situation. I'm one of the first people in my office area to show up each morning. Each person who subsequently arrives wishes everyone in the office a sunny good morning greeting. And that means by the time we've all arrived, I've listened to and said good morning at least 20 times. As you can imagine, this is not only monotonous, but also very distracting when I'm trying to focus on my work. It's actually getting to the point that each good morning greeting grits like nails on a chalkboard down to each nerve ending in my body. I'm not a receptionist. We don't have one. But because I'm there first in the morning, I'm almost serving in a de facto role. How do I politely convey to my colleagues that I don't want to hear good morning over and over again? I've tried large headphones, but I've honestly had people lean in my face and get my attention to say good morning or wave silently. I could really use some advice on how to address this directly. Or do you think I'm just a mean old grouch and should get over it? Sincerely, not a good morning person. Oh, not a good morning person. Um, I'll start off by just saying I sympathize. Once upon a time, I was much less of a morning person. I'm I'm trying to embrace <laughs> that now in my life. Are you kidding me? This is Dan who like wakes up easily at six o'clock every morning, like no uh, ready to go, bright eyed and bushy tailed. Do you remember the phase where I gave up the alarm clock? Yes, it was really obnoxious. <laughs> I was just like, oh, stop being awesome. Just stop it. All right. Um, but it think? wasn't always like that. Yeah. And part of my embracing of the morning is when I started working a consistent 40-hour work week where Lizzie and I were meeting in the office at that time of day every day. Yep. And Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved ones' stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Part of um, living life with a smile on my face was convincing myself that I was a good morning person <laughs> and, and embracing that. We hear about this particular work situation and scenario all the time. I, I want to um, try to broaden our perspective a little bit and say that usually when I hear about this question, it's about the person that doesn't acknowledge people in the morning and other people take offense at that. That when people enter the workplace and they don't make an effort to acknowledge each other socially, it starts to deteriorate relationships over time. We tend to advise people at the Emily Post Institute not to skip it, that it's an important moment each day and that one of our difficult situations that we teach is uh, asking the question of how long into the day do you need to sustain that acknowledgement? Do you need to say hi to somebody every time you see them or every time you walk past them? And the answer is absolutely no. But we do say that it's important to at some point acknowledge the people around you. And it is, is an important part of our social role. I would also say that the tactic of putting on headphones is another thing that we sometimes warn people about, <laughs> that you can really send the message that you're not engaged and you're not interested in the basic social courtesies that matter to people. If you're using headphones or a device like that to isolate yourself or tune other people out, and I know that's not your intent here. You're really focused on your work and focused on a particular window of time where you're trying to communicate something to people about your focus on your work in that moment. And I think that's an admirable focus. At the same time, that work environment really depends on everybody being able to do more than just focus on their work, but also interact socially. And this is a moment that's important to that functioning. I would actually even go so far as to argue the point that in the morning, when you get through those 20 good mornings, which if you went to a party, you would want to say hello to everybody there. And I know it becomes monotonous day after day after day to do it. But acknowledging the existence of the people around you is actually really important to building good relationships with them. So I would say take those headphones off. Know that this first hour of the morning is going to be sort of your interrupted work a little bit. And then I do think putting the headphones on can be a good way to zone in once you've kind of gotten through those initial hellos. Absolutely. And you got to know the rules so you know when and how to break them. So I say all that by way of just laying the groundwork, laying the framework for why it's important to your colleagues that even when you're wearing those headphones, they make an effort to disturb you or distract you with that good morning hello. And, and I can fully understand how it would feel that way to you. I don't think you're being a grouch. There are definitely mornings where I say to myself, I'm feeling it today. I'm going to get right to work. And sure enough, that's the day that 
I co- come in, sit on your couch, a and co-workers talk for twenty minutes. Got to do something. They got. They, they've got a social process that, that's important to our work relationship, and you've got to honor that too. You can always talk to people about how much you like to focus first thing in the morning. We all have reserves of willpower, and our willpower reserve is the strongest and the fullest at the start of the day. It's when many people do their best work. Then you might just start a dialogue with your colleagues about that. You might be able to reduce the level of distraction that good morning hello is or let people know that you love to say hi in the morning but you like to do it after you finish checking your email and you might even be able to establish a a social relationship with some of the people that you interact with the most frequently and that you're the closest with where you can help each other out. I think though it is really important just because we don't know from the question whether or not you do this or not but when someone does say good morning to you it's important to acknowledge them and say good morning back even if it is an interruption to your work it's important to not just sit there in silence and ignore. And I would say the almost greeting. the most important part of that for me is the eye contact. It doesn't always need to be verbal, even. It can just be eye contact and a little bit of a smile. <laughs> Lizzie's doing it to me from the other side of the whisper <laughs> booth. And we used to tease each other at the Emily Post Institute. I don't know if you remember this the official good morning. Because mm-hmm. we give well, this advice. Well, that's what Dan calls so it often. when he walks official good mornings, official good mornings, official good mornings. And it's almost a little perfunctory, but it's you hit that social mark. Right. And it's not terribly distracting. Distracting. I just circulate, do it, and haven't done it in a few years now, but that, that was my routine for getting through that particular expectation for a while. We hope this helps, and we definitely don't think you're a grouch. Just remember, keep a smile on your face. That is a relatively small cost for all the social rewards there are to be reaped. Tis the season for regifting, and that's what our postscript segment is going to be about. But it was, it was inspired by this absolutely oh. blatant <laughs> regift question that we received from Kristen. So here we go. Hello, my husband and I were married just a month ago. Congratulations to you both. We opened our gifts a few days after the wedding with our parents, and one of the gifts, a nice wooden cutting board with a removable glass top and a built-in drawer of cheese knives, wasn't wrapped and had no card. We opened the box to see if the card was inside, since we had no idea who it was from. There was a nice note inside written on the back of our wedding program. We pulled out the cutting board and it was engraved with the givers' names and their wedding date. They were married just this past June. We've gotten a good laugh about it, but it is actually a really nice, expensive gift that they should have. It is personalized, after all. Is there any polite way to get it back to them without completely humiliating them? No wrapping. No card and an obvious regifting? That's pretty bad. We have considered giving it to a close friend who is out of the country this year to give back to them in a different box, of course, as a late wedding gift. That's the best idea we've had so far. <laughs> Any suggestions? Thank you, Kristen. Kristen, I'm hoping that Lizzie and I have different opinions about this. So totally. I'm going to ask my intrepid cousin to start off. And <laughs> How would you handle this situation? So I, I'm rather blunt and bold, should we say? So I think I just, I, you know, I would call her up and be like, hey, Sarah, I just wanted to thank you so much for sending a gift. But I wanted to check in with you because the item was actually engraved with your names and wedding date on it. So I think there might have been a mix up here. And, you know, I didn't want you to be with an item that was so clearly one of your wedding gifts. You know, I would just act like it's totally understandable that they would have accidentally given it to you. Like, oh, yeah, like... 
that could have totally happened. I mean, obviously it's so bizarre, but I think you got to call him out on this. I think it's like, it's just too much. The wedding date isn't great. It's not even like just initials that maybe it's the same as, you know, it's like if you guys had a, a D and a P and someone else was a D and a P and so they passed it off to you. It's like, it's got their wedding date on it. This really isn't for you. Okay, so um, because you can laugh yeah. <laughs> when you make that call, I think you can get away with that. <laughs> I instantly start saying to myself, well, is that engraving on the bottom of it? Because if no one's ever going to see it, I'm just <laughs> going to keep it. It's a nice cutting board. It was a nice thought. They didn't see the engraving on the bottom. They thought they were just doing a regular old regifting. <laughs> I... I might let it slide. I might just receive okay. it and say um, thank you to the gift gods and, and get a nice laugh <laughs> myself and with my spouse and leave it at that. But again, that would a little bit depend. Is the engraving up or down? <laughs> Can don't I put you, it out? Can I serve on it? Is it or do I, am I just going to have to hide it or trash it? <laughs> don't you totally just want to bring it to their house? It's like, oh, well, you know what? We'll bring a cheese plate. We'll bring a cheese platter over for the party Friday night. Do you hear what I live with every day? <laughs> I think that would be hysterical. Kristen, we hope that gives you two options for how to solve this. I think that any which way you go, as long as you're light and jovial about it, I think you're going to be doing the right thing. Your good humor will keep this a low-stakes etiquette situation. Our next question is about thank you note or thank you gift. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. First of all, thank you so much for your podcast. I discovered it recently and have been listening to it nonstop. It has really helped me be more considerate and friendly, especially when interacting with strangers out in the world. You all have also inspired me to host Thanksgiving for my group of friends this year, and I wouldn't have felt confident enough to do it without having listened to your podcast. That's awesome! Truly. Drink. Someone needs to drink. Because <laughs> someone created, a, they suggested an awesome etiquette, and please cover your ears, small children who listen to our podcast, Drinking Game, where every time Dan or I say truly, because we say it so darn much, <laughs> it's time to drink. So you know what to do. My question has to do with letters of recommendation. I graduated from college almost six years ago, and two of my college professors are very kindly writing me letters of recommendation for graduate school. I realize that they are incredibly busy, and I am so grateful to them for going above and beyond for a former student. Of course, I plan to write them both handwritten thank you notes after I've turned in my applications, or perhaps when I know which schools I've been accepted to. But I'd like to do something more as well. Is it inappropriate to send them a small gift? I'm not sure if this crosses the line between teacher and former student, or if it even goes into semi-bribe territory, which is definitely not my intention. I'm also not sure what I would send them. A book I think they'd like, but probably would never have time to read. Flowers seem a bit over the top. I know you two will have a great take on this situation, and I appreciate your consideration of my question. Keep up the good work on the podcast. Sincerely, Hillary. I think that that I'm going to make short work of this one it's um i think a thank you note is perfectly acceptable in this situation I, you don't need to send a thank you gift as to whether or not it could look like a bribe or payment for a great recommendation, you know, the best thing to do is to check with the school to find out if there's a policy against it or if that's something that actually does happen and it doesn't cross into sketchy ethical territory. Because I'd rather you know from the institution than from etiquette experts who aren't involved in the situation. So check with the school about whether or not a gift is appropriate. If it is appropriate, if it is something that's allowed to be given and it doesn't come 
across as a bribe or kind of payment than something that you talked about of, you know, all the things that we've suggested on this show that make great gifts. Flowers, travel mugs. I like your book idea. Yeah, like a good book. (laughs) I'm trying to think of just things. Just simple things are usually the best thing for a gift like this. So the thank you note is always going to be the right thing to do. And good luck with the job. More questions coming up, but first a word from the sponsors that make Awesome Etiquette possible. This question is about the right response. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I would love your advice on a situation I encountered recently at work. A former coworker spotted me while driving and emailed to confirm it was me. It was, and I shared that I live in that area. He was dropping his daughter off at school, so I asked if they also lived in the area. He responded by saying that he is living in an apartment on one side of town while his wife is living on the other side of town. I wanted to acknowledge that he'd just shared something potentially very personal, but ultimately couldn't find a gentle and polite way to do it. I ended up asking if they liked the school. What would you have done? Would you have found a way to acknowledge it? Was it rude to ignore this information? Was there a better sidestep to the conversation? Thank you. Keep up the good work. WWLPD, what would Lizzie Post do, a.k.a. Emily? Aww. I thought there was going to be a little a little WWLDPD. Well, I, I'll take the first stab at answering this, and we'll see if Lizzie agrees or not. <laughs> okay, I'm sure we'll agree. My thought is that you handled this absolutely perfectly. Yeah, I think so, too. Every once in a while, you become privy to a little piece of personal information about a coworker in particular. And oftentimes, the best thing to do with that information is... Just stash it away in a little drawer. There's no need to pass it along. Learning how to respect each other's privacy is a big part of surviving professional relationships and surviving them well. As far as how you handled that conversation, again, I thought that was really, really well done. You managed to to skip like a stone across the surface of the water. And... The, the surface of the awkward waters. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and you kept it in territory that you had both indicated was safe. You kept the focus on the schools and a conversation topic that that you were both going to be comfortable with. And that is absolutely the appropriate thing to do. I'm just going to remind everyone about three tiers to a good conversation. Tier one is safe. And that's small talk territory, sports, weather, local celebrities, what you had for breakfast that morning. Tier two, potentially controversial, religion, politics, dating in your love life. And tier three, the most personal family and finance. And this really starts to trend into that tier three territory, that family territory. And you're wise to be careful about how you tread there. And if you're not entirely sure whether the other person is comfortable or you are, you can always drop back down tier two, tier one, and find something safe to talk about. I totally approve of that answer. Our next question comes from a sad but courteous listener. It begins, Dear Lizzie and Dan, I recently had the sad occasion to need to do some last-minute travel related to the passing of a close family friend. Because of this, I had to rearrange a number of professional commitments. I wasn't sure if I should simply apologize for a change in plans or if I should explain the whole circumstance. On the one hand, I don't want to make these people, many of whom I don't know personally, feel uncomfortable or unsure of how to respond. But on the other hand, the rescheduling was very last minute, and it sounds a bit evasive to just say unexpected travel. What do you think? Thanks. Sad but courteous. 
Sad but courteous. I think it depends on whether or not you want to share the nature of your travel with the people that you're talking to and that you've had to reschedule with. If you do want to share it, I would, you know, send out that email either to all the individuals or to the whole team on a group email and say, you know, dear team, unfortunately, due to the death of a close family friend, I'm going to have to postpone our meeting until blank or I'm going to have to ask that we reschedule our meeting. I will return on blank date. Thank you for understanding. Death is typically unexpected, especially when it is something like a family friend, when it's not a loved one who you've seen suffering for a while and you kind of know it's coming or they're on hospice care or something like that. So I think that it's really is one of the few times in our work life where it really is drop everything and it's time to go handle your personal life. And that's why I suggest that it's okay if you want to say you know, that this is the reason why you're leaving. If you don't want to say it, then you don't have to include that information. You can just say, you know, I have a personal emergency, a a personal situation I have to attend to. I'm going to have to travel away for it, and then I'll be returning. And and most people are going to understand that that's a polite euphemism for an illness or death in the family Mm -hmm. that you don't want to go into the details about. Exactly. It's a good way to communicate that without getting more explicit than you're comfortable getting in the particular moment. And I wouldn't worry so much about making them feel uncomfortable or what how they will respond. People are used to this. Every now and again it happens and you may get some people saying, I'm so sorry, I hope you're going to be okay or I hope everything's okay. And just let those be the responses that you hear about. And, and I liked all of the elements of your initial message where you acknowledge that you're making a change, maybe even apologize for the inconvenience, not for the thing that happened, but for the inconvenience that it's caused. And Absolutely. let people know as best you can what you think you're going to be able to do. And be realistic and honest about that. If you're going to be gone for several days or a week, let them know that. And hopefully this will help them manage the professional commitments in your absence. Sad but courteous, we are so sorry that you're going through a difficult time right now, but we really hope that this helps you navigate it both personally and professionally. Take care. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? to everyone for sending in your questions and remember we love updates if we answered your questions on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions feel free to send it in you can also submit your question to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com leave a message for us on our answering machine at 802-866-0860 or send it in via facebook or twitter just use the hashtag awesome etiquette so we know you want it on the show No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know if we can sing about it. I don't think we probably can. It's not. We don't recommend regifting. We don't, but this is... Do you hear the situation in the, <laughs> in the questions? I mean, come on. Yeah. So I, I want to take a great big step back in time. Go for it. To before we had this podcast. Yes. And when we used to talk about our dream, our vision for this podcast, how we would love to let people inside the Emily Post Institute, how much fun it would be <laughs> to include a larger audience in the conversations that happen in the inner sanctum. They um, don't really want to know about the constantly regifted 
clown pie server that we have. Really? No. Really? You were going to go somewhere else with this one. No, you? I'd forgotten about the clown pie server. It's like, it's not actually a clown. It's just really like circusy colors. Yeah. This is a, it's a pie. It's like a serving slice and serve. Yeah. Tool yeah. that gets re-gifted around the post family. It gets handed from one joke. family member yeah. to another each year. But and... it took up residence at our office now. It lives there. Yeah. Um, anyway, regifting is one of those uh, topics that uh, one generation of the family had a certain perspective and feeling about. And as it became more and more common practice, as a certain Seinfeld episode came along and really <laughs> inserted the word regifting into the popular consciousness, we had to think as a family about how we talk about regifting and what kind of advice we give around it. And this is one of those ones where battle lines were drawn and... <laughs> we used to give interviews where we would say, so-and-so in the family will tell you yes, but so-and-so in the family will tell you no. And we ended up staking out some common territory. Yeah. We figured out some some ground that everybody could live with. And I'm going to turn the mic over <laughs> to my cousin Lizzie to share with you the compromise solution for the regifting question. So we truly do not recommend that you regift. That is what we first and foremost want to say. It can cause so many hurt feelings. Depending on the gift and depending on the sensitivities of the people receiving and who gave the original gift, it can really be fraught with with difficulty. But that being said, we do know that regifting happens so often and there is one way in which regifting really is appropriate and that's the honest and open way to regift. And I truly suggest that if you're going to do it this way, that you not do it for someone's birthday or a wedding gift or a holiday gift, but instead maybe it's right after the holiday season and you got two of one thing and you let the person know, hey, I've Dan, I got two of these fabulous Emily Post Etiquette 18th edition books. And most people and need two. But most people need two, but... I know it so well, I only need one. Exactly. And so I'm going to give this other one to you. Obviously, this isn't one someone has personalized, but... That being said, you know, another great one, um, I actually, one year was my cousin's birthday, and I, you know, over the years have accumulated lots of cool, funky jewelry, and I had this bracelet, and I really thought she would love it, and I hadn't been wearing it, so I just said, you know what, I'm going to give it to her, and I told her, and this was for a birthday, I admit it, I'm totally already admitting that I'm breaking my own rules here. But I just said, you know, Carolyn, I loved this bracelet. I just don't wear it so much anymore. But I saw it. I thought of you. I really thought you would like it. And she loved it. And she was so happy about it. But I was I didn't try to pass it off like I had just bought this or it was really expensive or something like that. I love the you can own it concept. You can own it. I like <laughs> it. That's a better title for it. You can own it. So that being said. People still want to re-gift, and so we did develop some rules for re-gifting that are things to take into consideration so that if you're going to re-gift and you're not going to own it, you're able to make this happen as potentially successfully as you can. The first rule is that it has to be in its original packaging. This can't be something that's like already been taken out and the instructions are missing or the parts are missing or the little Allen wrench isn't there. You really need to make sure that it's in its original packaging, that it looks like you've just gone out and gotten this gift. The second thing is that you want to make sure that the person you're going to re-gift this gift to and the person who gave you the gift aren't likely to know that it got re-gifted, meaning you're not bringing the bottle of wine to a party for the hostess 
where the person who gave you that bottle of wine is going to be attending the party. This one's really important. Nothing original, monogrammed, personalized, unique, or handmade. Like an engraved cutting board? Like an engraved cutting board that has a cheese knife drawer under it and a glass top. Or as one of my favorite gifts, the most unique gift I've ever seen given was uh, for a friend of mine, and it was an octopus planter. You are going to notice if that octopus planter winds up at somebody else's house or if it's not in some, you know, that's like a noticeable missing gift. So I would just say, really, you want to make sure that it's not monogram, personalized, unique, handmade, original, any of those things. And this is my favorite of our regifting rules. You have to be 99.999% sure that the person you've given it to is actually going to like the gift. Because, Dan, I'm sure that you don't want the, like, really bright pink with um, pom-pom balls on it sweater that I am going to give to you for our cousin swap this year. The, the first three <laughs> prevent hurt, prevent harm. Yes. This is the one that gets to the heart of good gift giving. It's the intention behind the gift. It's the thought behind the gift that really matters. And if you're... 99% sure the person's going to like the gift. You're not cleaning white elephants out of your closet. You're thinking about another person, what they would like and appreciate, and giving them that thing. You're, you're actually being a good gift giver. The intention is good, and that's what you really want with a re-gifted gift. We hope that that helps you this holiday season and for the rest of the year to come with all of your re-gifting endeavors. May I, just before we go to our salute that was written in, give a salute to the little boy and his mother that I sat with in the waiting area on my flight from JFK to Burlington two nights ago? All right. Elise and Felix were traveling from Dublin, and at the point that I crossed paths with them— Felix's like mental state was that he was 24 hours into a day that, you know, because of the time change, because of what time it felt like in Dublin, by the time we were sitting in the airport with our delayed flight at JFK, he was running in 24 hours. He was the happiest, sweetest child. Like he was running around playing, not being obnoxious whenever his mom would say, no, 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 those people are, you know, resting or they're trying to be quiet. He would come back over to us and we would play with cars and his mom and I would talk and he was really sweet and even when he you saw the moment just before we boarded the plane where he crashed and he you could see his eyes were mm-hmm. getting tired he was going to sleep and she was like I really apologize if he wakes up grumpy he didn't wake up grumpy but I love the fact that she kind of let everyone know this could happen but it didn't wind up happening it was a really great mom kid traveling moment and I loved getting a chance to meet them we always hear about the crying baby on the plane or the obnoxious teenager I love to be reminded about all those really stellar toddlers and teens out there thank you Lizzie for sharing a little personal etiquette salute I know now on to the one that was sent in (laughs) our listener salute today begins hi Lizzie and Dan I'm a regular listener of your podcast and I've been keeping an eye out for an opportunity to send you an etiquette salute we thank you for that and we love these salutes so please keep them coming Last month, my family traveled from Philadelphia to rural Vermont to attend (laughs) a friend's wedding. We have a toddler, and I was a little stressed out about how she would handle the long drive and how we would deal with the nap time logistics. The couple was getting married at the 
bride's parents' house some distance from town, so getting back and forth to the hotel would have taken a while, on top of the initial eight-hour drive. Our friend, the bride, arranged for us to stay at a neighbor's rental property just down the road from the wedding location. The neighbor let us stay for two nights free of charge. When our friend told the neighbor that we were coming with a toddler, she even dug out an old high chair for us to use. The bride and groom also took the time to leave milk, cereal, and grapes, our daughter's favorite, in the refrigerator for us, even with all the last-minute wedding prep they needed to do. Being able to stay at the neighbor's place meant that we were able to easily get our daughter back for a nap and again for bedtime. We were able to relax and enjoy the happy occasion thanks to the thoughtfulness of our friends and the generosity of our host. And on top of all that, the place where we stayed was gorgeous. We're city mice, so it was a pleasure to be able to watch the sun rise over the mountains while I enjoyed my morning coffee. All the best, Katie. Isn't that lovely? Katie, that is a really nice story. It sounds like that wedding was so well hosted. I'm so impressed. And that's Vermont, man. People really do. They open up their doors. It's, it's wonderful. It really is. Katie, thank you so much for sending in that etiquette salute. We love hearing about all the good that's going on in the world. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for spending some of your week with us. And remember, there's no show without you. So please send us your etiquette questions, your comments and suggestions, and of course, your etiquette salutes. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner and our show is produced by the incredible Hans Buto. 